We turn in Holy Scripture this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. Where we begin reading at verse 22. We read that section to the end of the chapter. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The text this morning is Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as once again on the occasion of baptism, we turn to Ephesians 5 and continue our study of the marriage relationship, we find the apostle giving continued instruction to the husband. After opening the section with the explanation of the wife's role and calling in marriage, which is rooted partially in the God's created place for the husband of the wife, the apostle now turns to give careful and explicit instruction to the husband. If the calling of the wife was seen as profound and difficult, the calling of the husband is astounding. It's one thing to learn to submit one to another and for a wife to submit to her husband. That's difficult. We don't like to submit to anyone not as we are by nature, but when the calling of the husband is set before us, 
It's unfathomable. Because not only is the husband called to be the head of the wife, as we spelled that out from verse 23, the last time we looked at this section, but as that head, he is called to love his wife. That might not be seen as so difficult if you don't have a proper conception of love and you don't dig too deeply into what love is all about. And so long as the wife makes it easy to have good feelings for her. But the love to which we are called is not just a matter of feeling. It's a spiritual activity, a spiritual characteristic of amazing activity. The love to which we husbands are called is the same love that Christ shows his church. It's a love defined by action, not mere words. How is it with you, people of God, husbands? How does it go in this aspect of your life? Do you as a husband, do I, exercise headship, spiritual leadership in our homes with this love? You know this calling is too great for sinful men. It's only as the Spirit of Christ lives in you that you begin to approximate this love, the Lord's loving headship over His church. Apart from Christ, you will never do this. And that's the importance of Christ in your life. Do you recognize that? But you must aspire to be nothing less than this in your relationship to your wife. When you fail, you not only fail your wife, you fail to represent the Lord's love for his church. That's a serious misrepresentation of Christ. So the apostle is very pointed in spelling out for us the significance of the husband's calling. Today we stand again before the Bible's instruction concerning the Christian husband's love for his wife. We notice, first of all, the great calling Secondly, the profound example. And finally, the only possibility. This is a great calling that we husbands are given in this text. Husbands, love your wives. While we saw in verse 23 that the husband's chief calling in marriage is to exercise headship that is, spiritual leadership for his wife and family, the apostle immediately adds that which is to define that headship. Love. 
love. It's as if he says to the men, you are the head, you are the leader, you might even properly be called Lord with a small L in your household, even as Sarah referred to Abraham. But though you might be Lord with a small L, you may never be a tyrant. Because your headship is to be marked by love. And no husband is exercising the biblical injunction of spiritual headship without this love. But it's necessary now to consider the character or nature of that love because the biblical concept of love has generally been lost in our day. How often haven't we heard said, there isn't any love here? With reference to one's marriage or with reference to the church. In a way, that statement might well be an indictment of the one who makes the charge. Because love is such an activity that requires self-involvement. Not just looking at the behavior of others. And where love is lacking, it often lacking on the part of me who notices it lacking. I myself am not reaching out with love toward the neighbor. It's important when we talk about love to have an understanding, a biblical understanding of what love really is and what the word itself means because the apostle uses a word that vividly expresses Itself. In the Greek language, there are three words that can be translated by the English word love. But they each bear significant difference. One of the three words in the Greek language isn't even found in the Bible. And yet, it's the form of love, so-called, that's most common in our day. And that's the Greek word eros, which describes a love that belongs entirely to the flesh. The adjective erotic in the English language is a description of the content of that Greek word. It's a form of love, but it's a love of the flesh. A love which is self-indulging, carnal. The Bible doesn't even use that word. And that's what generally passes for love in our culture, in the world today perhaps especially in our American society, which is so under the influence of sexual pleasure 
and sexual indulgence and self-pursuits. What one wants, what one desires, that he's said to love. And the world glories in this expression of so-called love. It magnifies it. And the Bible doesn't even use the term. As I said, though, there are three words for love in the Greek language. The Bible uses two of them. One of which is phileo. A word that's represented in a couple of English words, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, or philanthropy, a love for mankind in general and the desire to increase the well-being of others from a, from a purely material point of view. That love has to do with more than just the physical attraction of what we just spoke, This has to do with the personal and emotional attraction of love. It's a love which has an affection towards its object. It's a very real love. Natural love of parents for their children, for example. A natural love such as we see in the Bible in a case even of Isaac and his love for Esau. From that point of view, it can even become an improper love. So that Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 37, he that loveth, that's the word phileo, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But the third word used in the Greek language is the word the Holy Spirit uses to raise love to its highest expression. Agape, agapao, love. This love goes beyond the emotional aspect of love. It includes it, but it goes beyond it. This love expresses the truth that love is not just a feeling. It is a love which is the expression of the sanctified will. A love which embraces its object with a holy and and unconditional embrace. A love which comes to expression by sacrificial giving. It's love as God loves. There is nothing higher than this. Colossians 3 verse 14 speaks of it as the bond of perfectness. The Apostle Paul here speaks of of that same love which is said in Galatians 5 verse 22 to be the fruit of the Spirit. It is love, in other words, which... Only those can show who themselves are filled with the Spirit of Christ, who are Christians. You see then how this section is linked 
with that which the apostle had set forth previously in verse 18 when he said, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the marks of the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the very love, divine love, spiritual love, that husbands must have and show to their wives. What is it then that defines or characterizes this love? When we get a hold of this truth, we bring the whole marriage relationship into its proper focus. The love of a husband for his wife, the Christian husband, is not a love that ignores the natural desires and attractions. God created them. Even though those natural desires have been so affected by sin that they quickly become lusts rather than the normal desires and attractions of our physical makeup, there's nothing sinful itself with the natural attraction of a husband toward his wife, and vice versa. Scripture makes clear that the marriage bed is undefiled where those natural desires are given their fulfillment by God within the marriage bond. And certainly a young man or young woman who are contemplating marriage ought to be attracted one to another. And I don't just mean physically, not even especially physically, but as persons. They should have some of the same interests, They should delight in one another's fellowship. They should see in each other the life of Christ. But this love of which Paul speaks, this spiritual virtue that must characterize us husbands, is love which raises up that natural attraction and sanctifies it. It is such love that glorifies God that gives to marriage a blessedness unmatched in those who have not Christ. Certainly, there are happy marriages on a a purely human, natural level. There are those who have a, a deep fondness toward each other, that get along well together, that support each other in life, who aren't Christians. But those marriages that are only successful on an earthly level never rise to the level to which the apostle calls us. We must rise to a higher level. As husbands, we must be characterized by this agape love that reflects the very love of Christ. And that love begins, therefore, with a desire to please God because we know his great love for us. This love, far from just being a feeling, comes to expression. That's made clear from the fact that we are commanded to love. Everywhere in the Bible, God commands us to love. 
Well, you can't command a feeling. I can't come up to you and say, I command you to be angry. No, that doesn't work. So if I came up to you at the graveside of your loved one and said, be happy. You realize that that's totally out of place. Feelings are not turned on and off by command. But God commands us to love our wives. Husbands, love your wives. Love, therefore, is a matter of exercise, of expression. And it's especially defined by this. While feeling is self-centered, love focuses on another and reaches toward and gives. And that's further explained in the text, as we shall see presently by the rest of verse 25 and what follows. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's the calling of the Christian husband. Such love is sacrificial. It isn't easy for sinful creatures to love. It's not even natural for sinful creatures. In harmony with our sinful natures, we have developed patterns of wanting and demanding and a sense of entitlement that permeates our world today rather than giving. That isn't love. Love isn't taking. Love is giving. Giving sacrificially We have to love even when our wives at any given moment might not be very lovable or very loving. And that means our love, besides being sacrificial, must also be unconditional. Love doesn't have a hidden motive of getting something in return. Do we desire to be loved? Without question. But our calling to love is given us by God. And it isn't contingent on getting a return. It's to be an expression of love for for God our Savior. Love also draws close to its object. To love your wife is is to reach toward her to draw her close, to cherish and to nourish her. And don't forget the context here. This is how the husband is to rule his wife. He doesn't rule her properly apart from this. The headship of a godly husband is seen exactly in this. And that takes a spiritual man That takes one who truly belongs to Jesus Christ by faith. 
young women, has God led a young man into your life and you have built your relationship to this point where you're, you're discussing marriage? Ask yourself this question. Is this the love that I see in him? Do I see in him spiritual fruits that not only come to expression now, but will continue to grow? Do I see the life of Christ coming to expression in him? Or do I see one who, who manipulates me to do this and that and, and tries to drive me this way and that way? Do I see the loving leadership of Christ in him? You know, if you don't see that, you don't see that clearly and aren't able to answer us a resounding yes to that question. If you have doubts, don't marry him. Don't make the tragic mistake of marrying that man. There shouldn't be any doubt that this man belongs to Jesus and shows it. Again, husbands and young men who look to be husbands someday, this is the great calling that comes with marriage. Husbands, love your wives. This remarkable calling is set before us more explicitly even by the Apostle's reference to a profound example. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, here again we see a remarkable aspect of the apostles' letters. And we say this, of course, understanding that Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's amazing, nonetheless, to see how he approaches his subjects in treating a most practical subject, that of the human relationship of a husband to his wife, he finds it fitting to direct our attention to a most profound doctrine, the relationship of Christ and his church. From the blessed union of Christ and his church, the apostle points us to our calling as Christian husbands and wives. And he does so to help us husbands. He would remind us of Christ and his great love for us. There's nothing that matches it. 
He wants us to realize the truth about the relationship in which we stand to Christ. It's amazing establishment and intimacy and immovableness. That's what we must see. We must see Jesus. And our relationship to him. Because, you see, the apostle realizes that this life of a Christian husband is only lived as a matter of thankfulness. Thankfulness to God. Thankfulness that is rooted in our spiritual understanding and experience of this great doctrine. That shows the folly of superficial Christians who want no doctrine. They're only interested in practical Christianity. I tell you again, people of God, this text demonstrates the same truth we have seen many, many times before. You cannot live an honest, thanks-to-God Christianity without doctrine, without the truth of God's Word. You cannot love your wife with this deep, biblical, Christian love unless you understand something of the glorious relationship between Christ and the church. You want to live as a Christian, you have to apply your mind. You have to think. You have to grapple with the doctrines of the scriptures. That's where the apostle's coming from. He sets forth this elaborate truth about the relationship between Christ and his church. Not simply for the sake of setting it forth, important though it is, he proclaims it here in order that you and I might love our wives as we ought to love them, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What do we see in the love of Christ for his church? Don't forget, Scripture speaks of that church as Christ's bride. That's the glorious picture in the Song of Solomon. But that's also the explicit teaching of Revelation 21 where the church is spoken of as the bride, the Lamb's wife. And when the Bible speaks of the church as the bride of Christ, that's true of every one of you who believe. So listen to Romans 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Christ is our husband. He's the bridegroom of the church. Now look at the characteristic of Christ's attitude toward the church. He loved her. 
He loved her. He loved her with that same love that I proclaim to you this morning, that lofty, holy love. And what was she like? He loved her in spite of the fact she was most unlovely. Notice what he finds in his bride. What's his bride like by nature? She's no gorgeous doll. She's ugly as sin. She's not dressed up and made all beautiful. She's in rags, covered in filth. It's like she fell into the manure pit. She has to be cleansed. She has to be washed. The stink of sin has to be removed somehow. Christ loved her in spite of her ugliness and unworthiness to be his bride. This is the height of the glorious doctrine of salvation that we preach. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5 verse 8. And in that great love, he gave himself for her. You know what that refers to, don't you? Refers to that great love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died, says Romans 5, verse 6, for the ungodly. Can you even fathom such a great love? And then notice his continued concern for her and her well-being. He looks upon her like no one else can. He sees in her something no one else sees. You know, humanly speaking, we would say he sees possibilities in her that no one else would see. Well, for him, of course, they're more than possibilities. They are the glories that he has determined for her. And he will realize in her. But from our perspective, we would say he sees possibilities in her that no one else sees. How would he make these people his bride? For what? He desires that she be perfect. For that purpose, he gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word 
that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And he isn't going to be satisfied until he has made her what he desires. He continues to love her, to sanctify her, to lead her by his word, to give himself for her in intercessory prayer, to rule over her and over all things with a view to her well-being. That's the relationship of love that Christ has toward his bride. Look at this glorious truth. Look at that great doctrine of the church. Whether married or unmarried, look at this. Because you stand in this relationship to Christ as a believer. You believe, don't you? This is how he looks at you. This is his attitude towards you. So great is his love that he gave himself for you, for his bride. No greater is love is there than that love. Highest word the Bible knows. This is the love husbands must have for their wives. And remember the Lord said in John 14, verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. It isn't what you and I say that finally proves what we are. It's what we do. It's how we live that proves what we are. The test of a man's love for God is his conduct toward his wife and his conduct in the home. Not what he was like before marriage, not what he was like on the honeymoon or during the first few months of marriage. The real test is this. What is this husband like when there are problems and difficulties? When there are trials and afflictions? When middle age and old age come? What is he like on those days when his wife is most unlovely? Elsewhere, in writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle will remind us, love never faileth. Think of where we would be if the love of Christ ever failed us when we turned unlovely. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Is this even possible? Again, we have to remember our relationship to Christ. We could never be His at all. We could never be enjoying any of the benefits of the Christian life unless Christ Himself had loved us with this incomprehensible love. You and I had to be rescued and redeemed in order to belong to Christ's perfect bride. Nothing else makes us a Christian. You can be the most kind man in the world to your wife. That will never make you a Christian. You can show a beautiful semblance of love, but it's only a semblance unless you're first made one with Christ by faith. I preach, as did the apostle, to the church. To you whom Christ has purchased with his precious blood. He has made you his. He has sanctified you and continues to sanctify you by his word. He it is who calls you with this exhortation, husbands love your wives. And while we grieve our shortcomings and our sinful failures, we also acknowledge that our own relationship with Christ is the only reason that we husbands walk in obedience to his word. Oh, the privilege of being a Christian. How quickly we forget. Do you find in your spouse things you don't like? Faults? Failures? Even sins? How do you respond? Do you simply become critical? Stand in your own goodness and and condemn and point the finger and walk your separate way? If you do, it can only be because you have failed to remember the way that we ourselves have been saved and become members of Christ's bride. Because if the Lord had responded to us that way, There would never have been a church. And we would surely have perished. Love never fails. Love goes on loving. Love lives because Christ lives in us. Do you believe that? For yourself? Husbands, love your wives remembering by faith the reality of your relationship with Christ. And if that's not your relationship with Him, you're called to repent and believe. 
Remember what he's done for you. And what he has made and is continuing to make of you. Cherish your wife. She stands before you as a picture of what you are in your relationship to your Lord. Give yourself for her. Seek her spiritual good always. Seek her well-being always. And so enjoy the great mystery of the relationship between Christ and the church. Amen. Heavenly Father, there are times when thy word especially penetrates to our sinfulness and our sins. And thou dost call us to repentance. And we thank thee for pointing us to our Savior, the riches of of that life that is ours in him because of his great love for us. And grant as we have heard thy word this morning that as husbands we love our wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might present it to himself a glorious church, sanctified and cleansed. And that's our desire, for Jesus' sake. Amen.